Hi, this is Mark Finner with Scaling Up. And if you want to create an impactful kingdom business, you should listen to the Eternal Entrepreneur podcast with my good friends, Pierce Brantley and Joe Newton. The Eternal Entrepreneur gives you the stories and strategies to gain freedom as a Christian business leader. You'll hear from real entrepreneurs who have learned how to partner with God, from making millions to filing bankruptcy. These are honest stories to help you hear God's voice and build a lasting legacy through business. Well, hello and welcome back, and thank you for joining us for episode eight of the Eternal Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Pierce Brantley, and along with my co-host, Joe Newton, we could not be more excited to share with you our conversation today with Mark Fenner. Mark is the president of Rise Performance Group, is a scaling up coach and strategist, and for more than 30 years, Mark has been inspiring CEOs and their leadership teams to think bigger, act bolder, and make an even greater impact on those companies and employees of who they serve. Before we jump into the interview today, I want to ask if you'd help us out by leaving us a five-star review and sharing the podcast with a friend. Also, if you'd like to stay in touch and get a free copy of the first chapter of my book, Calling, How to Partner with God in Any Business with Any Boss at Any Place in Life, then click on the link in the show notes below or sign up for weekly our weekly email at piercebrantley.co slash podcast. Now, on to the interview. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. We're excited to have you here. Hey, it's great. Thanks for having me. So, Mark, we heard a little bit about what you're doing right now, and I really want us to to dig into that, especially the scaling up and the, the creating culture within a business. But we find it kind of helpful to give our audience a little context. You know, we like our, our podcasts, like our Bible, in context. And uh, can you take us back to even elementary school age, Mark? Like, were you one of those people who always had the desire to grow in business, to be an entrepreneur, or is that something that you stumbled into over time? No, it's a, it's a great question. A- absolutely. I mean, I was mowing yards as a, as a young kid. I, I mean, I haven't really thought about the age. I got started probably 12 <laughs> or 13 and uh, worked with my dad to buy my own mower, and I remember printing up business cards, and and that's really how I got started. And early on, I really thought I would be an entrepreneur and own my own business, and got started, did some entrepreneurial stints in my 20s, and uh, unfortunately, didn't knock the cover off the ball. And when I decided to get married, <laughs> I thought, you know what? I need stability, and I got a job. I said, I'm going to do this for a couple years, and then I'll get back on track with finding a business. And then life kind of took over and started making good money and thought I was on a career track that made sense. So kind of put the entrepreneurial spirit on hold for a while. That's interesting. You know, I feel like every entrepreneur needs to fail at least, you know, five to 10 times before they see that become that overnight success. Right. So, so it's good to hear that you came from that, that humbling background that so many of us have. Tell me about that. So you had the consistency. When did it start to to get in you again to to make that transition back into to entrepreneurship? Well, it really happened in 08. I was working for an organization. We were owned by a bank, and it was the ideal organization. We had a great leadership team. We had a great vision. We had a brand promise we were all committed to. We took responsibility. When we made a mistake, we made it right. I mean, it was... Uh, it was kind of a perfect situation. 
other than the fact that we were owned by a bank. And in 08, the financial markets fell apart and the bank that owned us needed to raise capital. And so they sold us and they sold mm-hmm. us and the CEO of my group left, but the main leadership team stayed together. But the new leadership team and the new company could not have been a greater 180 from the values, the vision, the alignment that we had with the previous company. And so I found myself miserable. In 08, it kind of decimated my 401k and my financial plans. And and I thought, you know what? It's time. And, And I remember on October 5th, 2011, I happened to be in San Francisco. And that was the day that Steve Jobs passed away. And back then, we listened to the radio, believe it or not. And on the radio, they just kept playing this speech that Jobs made at Stanford University. Uh, it was a commencement speech in 2005. And he, and he told the students that were graduating that year, he said, you know, you've got to do what you love. And I'll never forget, he said, every day when I get up, I look myself in the mirror and I ask myself, if today were going to be my last day, would I want to do what I'm about to do? And he mm-hmm. said, whenever the answer has been no too many days in a row, He said, I know I need to make a change. And so I was driving down the 101. I was heading towards San Francisco, going through Burlingame, just past the airport. And I literally found the next exit I could find and pulled off the side of the road and found a little parking lot. I looked in the little mirror of that rent car and I said, Mark, if today were your last day, is this what you want to be doing? And I said, uh, I said, absolutely not, and made the decision right there that I was done. I called my wife. I said, I'm leaving. She's like, what are you doing? You know, call a counselor. <laughs> you know, and, and I said, when I come back, we're going to find a way. I'm finding a business. We're get, I'm out of here. And uh, that was October 5th. I started Rise Performance Group on December 6th, left that company at the end of that year. And it's been a great journey ever since. Man, that's incredibly gutsy to to make a decision and to be able to face yourself and, and bet on yourself like that. And you did it in all the span of what, like two and a half months. That's nuts, man. Yeah, it was crazy. I didn't know what I was going to do. We went out and started going to franchise shows and I was started talking to business brokers and thought I'm going to buy a business. I had a cousin that had done that and had done really well. And, and I didn't end up buying a business. I didn't have much money left after the financial markets had imploded and some stuff was going on in that company mm. that it just caused me to dwindle away some of my savings. But I started the business with the goal of helping people and working with leaders. And uh, it's just been an unbelievable journey. I want to ask, because I think it'll be really helpful for our audience. Can you unpack a little bit more for us what that process looked like about how you decided which business to create and what your business model was going to be like? You know, you're looking at all these franchises and everything. How did you pinpoint what what was right for you? Well, I went back to what I thought I was good at, which is selling. I mean, my career was 25 years in sales and sales leadership. I'd predominantly worked for early stage companies. We didn't have much of a brand. So our, our path to success was getting people to buy into a vision and gaining trust. And Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, that's what I'm good at. So, you know, as I looked at certain kinds of franchises, you know, I wasn't going to own a donut shop or a subway or (laughs) something where I'm waiting on people to come to me. I I wanted to go to people. And and I found a company out of Waco that had a suite of hiring assessments and 360 degree leadership assessments. And I had had participated in hiring assessments. I'd never been a part of a leadership program, Mm. but I thought, you know what? here's an opportunity. I've used these. I've seen the value. 
Here's a way for me. I knew that hiring and people is a key to an organization's success after building sales teams all those years. So it met a passion I had. It uh, took advantage of a core competency, and I thought it could be profitable. And, and so I jumped in, and that's how I got started. When you in those early days of starting things up, you know, what were some of the kind of the guiding principles or the first values that you kind of relied upon to, to navigate? Obviously, you had a lot of confidence in yourself. Had a pretty clear assessment of of your strengths. What what were kind of undercurrents for you, or what have what has kind of guide you and kept the, the ship straight through all these different years? Because you know you've been doing this for a while now, and you've been doing it successfully too. So that I think that relies on something. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I've always followed the Lord in the way He's guided me. So I've always had a feeling and a belief. And really, it's been documented throughout my career that everything happens for a reason. And if I'll let it, it will serve me if mm-hmm. I'll get out of my way. Mm-hmm. So it's a balance. I'm a type A driven individual, so I like to try to try to drive my own life. But it's how do I develop that balance of, of driving, but yet listening and being guided? So mm-hmm. certainly, yes. I was looking for that guidance. The second thing was was I was going to look to create momentum. So I was going to start where I had already worked in the past, where I already had relationships. I mean, the key to getting started is being able to leverage relationships. Mm -hmm. So my 25 years of selling was predominantly in the tech space. However, the last, well, when I worked for that bank, we did a lot of work with credit union. And so the credit unions I knew would get me the short-term momentum, but then I wanted to get back into tech as, as quick as I can. And then number three is I've always been a believer that if there's no pain, there's no change. So I was looking for where the kinds of business problems that I thought I could uniquely solve that would get me access to the most senior leaders in those companies. And so I remember the first phone call, actually, when I I actually signed up on December 7th or 6th, excuse me, with this company, one of the first calls I made was to a company that I had a previous relationship with. And they had 10,000 employees. They were a call center. They were hiring 1,000 people a month. And that guy immediately, and I never did business with him. I never did business with him. But back in the old days, but he was my very first client here, my first big one. And man, that client was a huge propeller of my success because it gave me a, a base of revenue and they were big and it gave me a talk track to talk with other companies about somebody, even though that was the only call center client I ever signed. I don't know that I've ever worked with a pure call center organization again, but it started there. And, and that's what gave me a little confidence, a little momentum. And then I just kept looking for where do I have relationships? Who can I get started with and how can I solve business problems mm. that are meaningful? So when you find relationships, I think that's so key. I think it's actually something that it's really natural if you're sales minded. I think a lot of entrepreneurs or people are starting out think I need to figure out some way to solve this on my own. Otherwise, I'm not doing it. It's kind of a lie we tell ourselves. And so how do you kind of go about cultivating those relationships? What are some of the things that Mark relies on to to help people find value or to kind of discover if there's a, a real fit there? Well, it's a great question. You know, starting with people do business with people they know, like, and trust. And so thinking about, so, you know, what is the problem that I can solve? You know, what's the problem? And then who has that problem 
that might know, like, and trust me? Hmm. And can I blend those two? So when I started, I thought, you know, credit unions, the bigger the problem, the faster somebody's going to move to solve it. And I was hungry. I'd gone through two or three years of, you know, a lot of devastation after 08. I, I was not making the kind of money I was used to making. You know, we had a big lifestyle. I had kids that were in high school that were going to, to college. We had promised them a college education. You know, I just was not going to settle for not being able to take care of my family and provide in the way that that met my standards. Yeah. And, you know, I love credit unions, but they don't tend to be real big drivers of change and take risk because their businesses are kind of status quo. But but I thought, but here, but they fit the piece of no like and trust. I had relationships there. Mm. So I started there with the idea of them and then some other ad hoc clients uh, like the call center operation, the collections call center operation I happened to get. And I just assembled a group of people to start with. And, and I can't even tell you how many were on that list. It might have been 100, 125 people that I thought would have a problem that I could solve and that I thought knew me, would take my call, would give me a meeting and give me a chance to get in and tell my story. And uh, that's how I did it. I love that. With people that you know, that know you, like you and trust you, if you can kind of hit that trifecta, it's a great open door to be able to facilitate possible conversations. You know, Mark, I know you are, are an expert helping people grow in leadership and grow their companies, scaling up. It's in the name. I remember in a previous conversation we had, you told me a phrase, and that phrase has stuck with me from the moment you said it to me. I think about it probably once a week. And it's this idea of what are the limiting beliefs that get in the way of teams creating outcomes and I'm sure that's a big part of you kind of uncovering where the value is and help to help teams grow. How did you kind of come across that concept? And how do you lead people through that concept of helping people kind of get rid of limiting beliefs? Because I think that is a really key differentiator and leverage point that a lot of people don't know how to walk through. Well, limiting beliefs are a killer. You know, they're a killer. I get a lot of people that call me that want to be coaches or speakers or authors, or they want to go out on their own and, and do consulting. And it's the limiting belief of what they're worth is just a huge limiting belief. And I remember I, uh, so I put that list together and I made, uh, I got on the phone and I did a road trip like the middle of January that first year. Wow. And I had two or three meetings a day. And I remember my first meeting was down in uh, down in Austin with a pretty sophisticated credit union, a leader I respected a lot. And we got probably five minutes into our discussion and he started telling me about this coach that he'd been working with and how much he loved him and how he'd helped him. He felt become CEO of the year down there in Austin and he'd gotten all these accolades. And so I wrote this guy's name down and, and I remember I went to my hotel room that night and I looked him up on the internet. And I mean, when his website came up, I'm like, oh my gosh, look at this guy. I mean, this guy's bigger than life. 25 years, he's done this, he's done this, he's done this, he's done that. And all of a sudden I thought, oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? How, how, do, I, how do I compete with that? Who, who am I? And man, it just sent me into a funk. But I had to pull up my bootstraps, right? I had, had appointments the next day. 
And so as I was driving, I, I was thinking, Mark, is that true? Is that guy really better than you? I mean, I know you might have that perception, but is he really? And I started challenging it. And I said, you know what? I don't think that guy is better than me. And I said, I think I could be better than him because of, number one, I've got more passion than anybody else in the industry. Number two, I'm willing to do the homework to ask the kind of questions to uncover the kind of problems that I know people have. And if they don't admit their problems, we can't help them. Again, no pain, no change, right? right? And number three, there's nobody that's going to work harder to make sure they get the results than I am. And so I started just telling myself that story and said, if I can be that guy, I can beat anybody in the marketplace. And you know what's interesting is I did some business with that with that credit union. They took a risk on some of my assessments, and I, and I was working with their HR department. And then a leadership development opportunity opened up in that company. And that's what actually got me into leadership development. And they had a Angela Nanny who ran Learning and Development for them, wanted to create this program. And I had been working with another guy on some leadership development. And she brought us in. And she didn't like this guy I was going to partner with. His name was Joe. And after the meeting, she pulled me aside. She said, Mark, we don't like Joe, but we like you. And we think you can do the program. I'm like, oh, my God, Angela, I've never done anything like this. I mean, what do you, I'm a sales guy. I don't, you know, I don't do training. I don't do that. So she's like, oh, come on. She goes, I'll help you do it. We want to use your, your 360s. And Joe's curriculum was okay, but I can help you write some other curriculum. and. Wow. And we can develop this for, I just need you to do a one day. And then I'll take, we were going to do a full year quarterly thing. She goes, I'll do the rest. I've got some other ideas how I can do that. But will you do that first day? So that's what ultimately got me back. That's what got me into leadership development. And what's interesting is I ended up doing that project for four years. I did that project and I'd still be doing it today. But then they went through some financial challenges and they had to reorg and do some stuff. But from that very first meeting where I thought I have no business even being in the same room with these people to then serving them for multiple years and then it being a major you know, inflection point in my career that really got me into leadership development, which was way more my passion yeah. than hiring assessments. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's just interesting how the world works and yeah. how God works through us, right? Yeah. So when you go through that process with leaders, you know, I know you do a lot with growth and with companies, and I'm sure growth is just as much about the people as it is with the company. How, what are some of the first things you look for when you're doing an assessment? And maybe that's a broader question, but I'm kind of curious, what do you look for, you know, being the expert that you are? Well, great question. So I look for mindset, right? You know, great leaders that are going to scale have bold visions and bold visions move people to power and weak visions have very little power at all. Mm. But bold visions are scary. I mean, people are afraid to commit to bold, bold visions. Why? Because of limiting beliefs, right? What if I'm wrong? What if I fail? What if I'm not enough? Right? What if I'm really not this executive or the CEO that, that I think I am? So I'm listening for those, I'm listening for those cues And it usually comes out in some kind of uh, phraseology of, well, the market's not that big or, or, well, I'm not sure that we can really get adoption or, or, you know, people aren't going to be interested in that, you know, or I'll get some kind of definitive statement. And, 
you know, there's got to be poor rapport, but I love the question, you know, is that true? <laughs> you know, is that true? Yeah. And, and I'll tell you what, I'm dealing with a, an entrepreneur uh, right now, and he's got a $35 million company. In the last three years, he's built it to $35 million. He's got a board of directors that are some of the biggest investment firms in the country, and they're pushing to be at $100 million in two years. And he's saying, you know, I just don't think we can do it. He goes, Mark, we can't. Here's how I said it. We can't do it without breaking the organization. And I just said, is that true? Is that true? And he goes, well, I mean, I, I don't know. And I said, well, is that worthwhile to explore that? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if it's true or not, but you're dealing with some people that have scaled some pretty big organizations. Should we be open minded to listening a little bit more to maybe their vision for how you can do it? Wow. And see if you can get yourself to believe, because if you can't believe, then you're you're never going to do it. Right. But you've got to challenge your beliefs, your base assumptions, your limiting beliefs mm-hmm. that are telling you it can't be done without irreparable harm to the organization. But you know what? There's a lot of companies that scale really fast. Yeah. And maybe you've got that unicorn and maybe, maybe it's just you need a new frame of reference of how you can do it, how you can do it right while building people and building a great sustainable organization for the long haul. So I love the fact that people throw out proof points. They throw out proof points about why something isn't possible. And right. You actually just have to challenge that. Just, well, is that reality? Are you living in reality right now? And then are you willing to trust maybe someone else's vision? And that's going to be hard to do. Trusting someone else's vision, especially if you can sit, you see yourself as a decision maker, can be mm. super hard to do, I think, even if it's a better vision. Right. So if you have a small vision and you bring a team on and they have a bigger vision, really, you should be getting out of the way and trusting that vision. Obviously, that this caveat step, there's a lot of truth to it. But getting out of your own way and saying, all right, what's the highest and best vision here? And then adopting it, leaning into it. I mean, that sounds to me like a recipe for success, but one that I think a lot of people struggle to fully lean into. Well, we struggle because we have limiting beliefs. Right. And, and remember, a belief is nothing more than a feeling of certainty about something. Mm. There, there really is no true or false. Right. I mean, can you grow to 100? I don't know. I mean, there's there's no fact that says you can't do it. Sure. And no fact that says you can. It's really a belief mm. in whether or not you can or you can. And that sounds overly simplified what you can believe and conceive you can achieve. You know, mm. we've, we've heard that for a long time. But I find the better way to get at it is to say, what are the limiting beliefs that are holding me back from believing that I can be successful? It's like people told me I needed to raise my rates. When I first came in, I'd do these crazy mathematical computations in my head. I don't know how I thought I was ever going to make a living, but I I just (laughs) saw the value in myself. And I remember I was out looking for help. And I was talking to people and I thought I need marketing help. And, and I remember this day I came in and I met this guy, Bob Kaplitz. And out of everybody, when I'd meet with people, the first thing they'd want to do is tell me everything I was doing wrong. Your website's confusing. Your message is confusing. You're confusing. You're not that good looking. You've got, you got all these problems, right? Mm. But, but the, what was different with Bob is Bob saw what I was doing right. And he starts saying, but you got this, you got that, but you're, you know, you're doing, you, man, I love this workshop. Can I, he, and he said, can I come watch one of your workshops? Wow. And then he mm-hmm. took notes and he said, here's everything I love about what you're doing. Here's what we could build on. 
And that's what started to give me the belief that I could be more, that I could do more, that I could make a bigger impact. And then part of that was being able to charge a livable wage, Yeah, which is the other thing I tell people. And, you know, they write off, well, I'm going to get into speaking. I don't, I'm not doing it for the money, right? <laughs> which, is, which is a limiting belief that says I'm not valuable, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it because I care so much about this cause. Mm-hmm. Well, if your cause is worth caring about, then there ought to be somebody that be, would be willing to compensate you for that cause. Mm. Now, it may not be the person you're speaking to or the group you're speaking to, but if you're doing noble work, you've got to have an economic engine behind you or you can't, you can't make an impact. That's right. Right? You can't make an impact. I mean, there's only so many people that are going to listen to you in your basement. Yeah. Right? You've got to get out and start talking to people. And, that, and you know what? It takes money. It takes resources. I love Man. that. I was just going to say, Mark, I, I love what you're sharing because it hits me on a couple of levels. One, knowing your value is one of the biggest calls of of my heart because I feel like people as individuals, people as far as what they bring to the table, like you need to know your value. And I, I think that's that's huge. And, and the other part of what you're saying I, I think is so good is that this isn't just a business principle, right? I mean, you could be preaching on don't limit yourself in your your beliefs and what God can do for you and what you can walk out and what you're able to do in your family like change the way that you think that was you know repent right that's that's that that's right. core core thing and i connect that with why it's so good for people to either utilize someone like you a coach or a consultant that can be there i love hebrews 10:24 in the king james provoke one another unto love and good works. Like they, they need someone like you because as an entrepreneur, we all know that can be a lonely, isolating place. Well, That's whether right. you're in the C-suite or you're on an entrepreneurial journey. So right. you need to bring someone in, whether it's someone like you or it's a good friend, like a Pierce for me, that, that's going to be there and ask those probing questions and, and provoke the way that you're thinking. I think that's so good. Yeah. Yeah, and we have so many beliefs. <laughs> We're talking a lot about beliefs, but so many <laughs> beliefs about money and what money means. And uh, unfortunately, you know, a lot of people have been conditioned that money's bad, it's evil, and, it, and the pursuit of money is, is not good. And the pursuit of resources is good. And the pursuit of resources so that you can better deliver on your passion and your purpose is critical. Mm -hmm. And so figuring out what you're worth, plus people make decisions based on your pricing. So if you're pricing like somebody working out of a, out of an old uh, flatbed with a hammer and a screwdriver versus a professionally run organization, then they're going to put you in that box, whether it's true or not. And so just owning your worth and then being able to own it, is a critical part of the entrepreneurial journey and making the kind of money that you need to make so you can scale and and grow. I think that's really valuable. About a decade ago, I was working alongside a a nonprofit and basically they were a type of young life. You're familiar with young life. They work in youth communities and stuff. They've been around about the same amount of time. And I noticed a pattern where they would kind of go into an area and they'd get settled and they'd be there for about 18 months and then they would disappear and then they would pop up again in another area for about 18 months. 
and then disappear. And I thought it was a really odd phenomena that they would show up and disappear and show up and disappear. And I found out there was a belief with their leadership team that because their work was altruistic, because it was slightly ministry-oriented, that economics had to be something that was put to the side of the conversation. And what happened was that here to this day, they're not able to actually put down roots anywhere. That's right. And mm. because of that, it's actually limited their mission right. to, some, to right. some belief. And they're doing the same kind of good. In some ways, I think they're doing better good. They're more they're, they're wiser, and, and they've got a little bit more better resource than Young Life, even though Young Life is doing fantastic stuff, but they can't stay stable. And it's because right. of this idea that the mission somehow supersedes the mechanics. And I think you need mission and you mm. need mechanics in a business together in order to be successful. You see some businesses right. are really good at the process and turning a profit or whatever, and people don't like working there. They might have high churn. Uh, they might grow really quickly. They might actually make money, but there's not a lot of life surrounding the sphere of what they do. You have other organizations that are fragile, basically, and it's because they don't have the mechanic side of it, but they're really strong missionally. You got to have both. You got to believe that they both go together and not be afraid of making the ask, making the ask That's right. for whatever it is you believe there's value behind in order to facilitate it. And people are willing to pay, I think. They had the same issue with their interns. They wouldn't make their interns charge to come or to come on board and they wouldn't pay them anything. And so it attracted a certain of kind of people right. as well. And so right. there's always a value proposition in everything that you're doing. Yeah. The thing you've got to think about is how am I building momentum? Is everything I'm doing building momentum? And, and as a leader, leadership is influence. So are people willing to follow me? Mm. And as my leadership grows, whether you're a brand or a leader or a CEO of a company or, or all three, as your leadership grows, the quality of the people that you attract should increase mm-hmm. and the ease with which you push your economic engine Wow. Should increase. Wow. Look at Apple. Look at how long it took Apple to get to a trillion dollar market cap. And then almost overnight, they went to two trillion. They've just got so much momentum. We buy Apple products. I mean, look at what they do with these funny earbuds. I mean, that's a, <laughs> and the watch. I mean, these are billion dollar business units because their brand has so much momentum. Well, to put that on a mere mortal status, so when I started, I focused, like I said, in the credit union. So pretty soon word was getting around and I bounced around and did a lot of work with it, with a lot of credit unions. And then while I was working with those to drive my economic engine, I started getting into technology and really getting into the industries again that I felt more passionate about and that, that really took off for me and really propelled my business. And I remember I did work for this company down in Austin, another Austin company. I actually met them in, in Houston but they were a Microsoft uh, reseller, an implementer, and they had, I don't know, eight or nine offices, and, and they brought me in to work with their project managers because a project manager got a different team on every project, and so they needed to quickly get buy-in from them and buy-in from the clients and buy-in internally. They kind of had this 360 degrees of influence. So I was doing that project, and then there was this, this guy who was following up here in Dallas. He was Entrepreneur of the Year. His business was scaling like crazy, and they were a uh, they were a workday implementer. 
And so I went to this leader, Brian Williams, and I told him the catapult story. And he's like, oh, my God, I had never kind of thought about that. I ended up doing I mean, I trained over 125 of their leaders. I mean, I had years that were I mean, they were a huge chunk of my revenue. Brian, if you'd ask him today, he'd say Mark was a force multiplier. We went from 230 employees to north of 500. They went from 35 million to north of 125 million. Brian exited. Today he's chairman. He's like, I can't wait till we get our next deal to go go do. Now, all that was just kind of a a building of momentum. And Brian has helped me close so many more clients now because I hang out in kind of this, this DFW. I kind of specialize in Irving. I mean, I know all the businesses in Irving. If I go to lunch with Brian, chances are I'm going to run into a prospect and they're like, there he is again with, with this guy. So it just gives the impression I'm everywhere. It's that omnipresence Mm. that we need to have as a brand. In fact, it was, um, Oh, one of the marketing companies, I'm drawing a blank on it. They said the four P's of marketing are dead. Instead of people or product, uh, place, price, and promotion, it's now experience, Mm. right? It's about exchange for price. And instead of promotion, it's everywhere. Well, what do you mean everywhere? Well, instead of speaking out to our clients, you need to be everywhere your target clients are. Right. So I would go back to your nonprofit to your evangelical organization, your Young Life organization, and say, man, I would stay in those communities and get deeper and deeper and deeper entrenched and get more and more and more bigger thought leaders with bigger purses that can swing, you know, that can stand up and say, I'm putting, you know, my thousand or my 10,000 in, are you guys all in or not? And they can just bring those resources with you rather than going somewhere else and starting all over again every exactly. time. Exactly. Yeah. I like that. Mission and mechanics equals momentum. It's good. Ooh, mm. yeah. That's good. That's <laughs> good. Momentum is magic. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Mark, I'm curious. Can you tie that together? I know you've got a great kind of view as, as far as helping companies scale and utilizing culture. Can you kind of give us some examples of what that means as far as building a momentum within your culture does that make sense? Yeah. Thank. Did you have something else, Joe? <laughs> you got me so excited on culture. I just cut <laughs> you right off. Is there- you know, yeah. I mean, my, my, I was going to connect it to those limiting beliefs. I, I was curious if that was something you had to start at the top and then also bring that down to build that momentum. But you go, yeah, you share what's on your heart. Well, culture has to start at the top. I mean, culture yeah. can't start at the bottom. I mean, culture is the CEO and the intentionality they place on the organization. And and by the way, everybody's got a culture. It's just a question if it's the right culture. And, you know, I'll go back to my story with Brian at at OneSource. I wish I could take credit for helping him roll his values out. He had just rolled them out. (laughs) In fact, what he liked is that I got his values and I wanted to go be a champion for his values as part of how I became so ingrained in the organization. But when Brian first rolled out those values and he put a lot of thought into them, he wanted them to be deep, deep, deeply held within himself. So not some flavor of the month on the wall. So he came up with what he thought the values were going to be. And then he, he kicked them off and, and he started doing some things really well. You know, he'd hire against them. He'd do an onboarding. They were scaling at the time, bringing in cohorts of 30 or 40 employees at the time. So he had a two hour talk track at every onboarding about the values, what each value meant, what it meant to him. Once a month, we would do a values meeting 
And they would pick one or two of the values, pick examples of people up. All the boardrooms were named after the values. They did a value employee of the week or excuse me, of the month. And they'd take them to a really nice restaurant, do a nice celebration. Of course, they'd go out in the newsletter. They called them marketing, got involved and called them the superheroes. And there was plaques all over the office. You know, they'd put, they'd frame them and have pictures of these superheroes that were living the values. So they were ingrained. Well, people started seeing that not only were they something that Brian talked about, but they saw that he lived them. And one of the ones that, that you know, I thought best made this point was his uh, value that there are no ego trips allowed, right? We want no ego in this organization. And I, I remember when I started the stories of just what a humble connecting leader he was just resonated. So when the values came out, people saw that they're living them. They saw the organization rallying behind them their glass door ratings started increasing, mm-hmm. as you could imagine. And we went back and did some analysis. When he rolled the values out, they had approximately 50 open job wrecks. That was kind of the average of what was going on at any given time. They'd have about 50 open wrecks, and they were getting about 50 applicants a week. Not bad, but you know it's going to be hard to find A players if that's your pick. As words started getting out and the staff started talking about this leader and how he stood for these things and these values and chatter started going on through the social media, all of a sudden that the number of applicants began to increase. Six months after rolling those values out, they went over 500. They were still averaging 50 to 60 open recs a week, but their number of applicants per week went up over 500. It's never been below. It's typically over 1,000 now. So you think, not only, and, and by the way, this thing was growing like crazy. So there was a lot of process, not well-defined, but people were buying into him, his vision, and this is how we behave. And when people got out of alignment with the values, there were consequences. And when people lived in those values, they rose. And so I like to think of values. If you can get it right to shape your culture, it becomes like a magnet, Right. It pulls everybody up to bring the best version of themselves to work and bring the best belief system of themselves to work. And that's why that getting that culture right is uh, just passion one for me. Can I ask, how do you coach the people that you work with? Because we know with momentum starting to push that large rock, it's not an overnight thing. Like that's a consistent thing that you have to keep coming back to. How is it that you're able to, to help those CEOs and those entrepreneurs to continue to not just that one time admit like, OK, it could be possible, but to, to, to keep that momentum going? Well, you can't teach it to everybody. Yeah. And I'm learning that. So mm-hmm. I'm getting pickier and pickier with who I bring on as new clients because I want to work with people that that get it. And unfortunately, not everybody does mm-hmm. and not everybody wants to get it. So it takes a mindset. I'll tell you. Brian's a Christian. Brian's a huge believer in servant leadership. I'll, I'll just tell you one other story that, that he did there was everybody in part of those cohorts went and served a day at the food bank. It was part of their week of onboarding. And the principle that was driven home out of that experience is that you learn to serve. You learn to serve in the group that you're in, and you, and you learn to serve others. And those are beliefs and fundamental principles that are hard to teach. It's, it's hard to give somebody what their mama didn't, mm-hmm. if you follow my point. <laughs> and, and so I think what I'm getting better at as a coach is I'm finding the kind of clients that I want to work with mm-hmm. are the ones that really get 
the importance of culture. Now, they may need help on how do I do it? How do I communicate it? How do I build the right symbols? How do we build the right systems? How do I really get it going? But, but those are the clients that I'm looking to work with. And then I work with them on their visions, on their values, and setting up those routines so that it, it really does become part of the organization. That's awesome. Well, Joe, you want to go into the final five? Yeah, yeah. So, Mark, we have uh, our final five questions with our, about our final five minutes here on the podcast. Oh, okay. And we'll just rapid fire these real quick. And uh, I'm sure there's some of them you might share we can dig into a little bit. The first question is, what are your top three must-read books, not including the Bible? These can be business, family, spiritual, cookbook. Well, I think Good to Great is just a, uh, if you're a business leader, you've got to read Good to Great. I'm going to say Scaling Up. If you're interested in scaling your business, I would put Scaling Up as number two. And then number three, well, God, there's just, there's a lot that really fall into that. I'm a big fan of people and of hiring. So I really like uh, the book Who. I think it's a great foundational principle around people. And there's another book I read, and I'm drawing a blank on the author that I've really been promoting lately, and it's called The Procrastination Equation. Mm. Okay. And it really gets into what, why our mind causes us to procrastinate, which again leads back to, in many cases, limiting beliefs or fears. Mm. So I think that's a really good book. Awesome. I've never heard of that book and, before. And the book Yeah, who... and the guy's name is it's Pierce Steele. I had Pierce. <laughs> I, could, I kept saying Pierce Brinkley, and I'm like, Wait a minute, that can't be right. It's Pierce Steele is <laughs> the guy. Trustworthy. Name. I like him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great name. <laughs> That's great. So uh question number two. You can send a note card back to yourself when you're first starting off on your entrepreneurial journey. What are the three pieces of advice you're putting on that card? Believe more in yourself, get clear on your value proposition, mm-hmm. and execute with more intentionality. And those are good. I can tell you've uh, you've thought about those before. Those are good. Good questions uh, you're throwing at me here. Question number three today: How do you define success for yourself? Oh, that's a great question. Personally, I think success is the constant pursuit of our purpose. So the more that I can deliver on my purpose, you know, I'm I'm about helping people become more, so they can achieve more, so they can ultimately give more. I want to help companies cross 100 million. And the reason I'm focused on that is uh, I'm from Kansas City originally. And one of the great entrepreneurs up there was a guy named Ewing Kaufman. And his legacy that he left behind is, is the Kaufman Foundation. They do the Million Cups and a lot of others. You may be familiar with some of their work. And I read one of their papers. It's, it's been, I don't know, third, it's probably it was 2013, 2014. It was right when I started out my journey. And in that, they talked about the importance of communities having companies that matter. And they defined companies that matter as companies that get over $100 million. And they said the reason that that's so important for society is when a company gets over $100 million, number one, they create a lot of wealth in the community. You know, the owners make a lot of money and it gets reinvested or it gets given away. Number two, they create a lot of jobs. And So a lot of people have jobs. They can grow as leaders within those organizations. They can make a bigger positive impact. And then number three, people grow and they learn how to, if it's done right, 
they can really make a difference. And, and this principle was really culminated. I heard a guy named Bob Chapman. He owns a, uh, a big company in St. Louis. I'm drawing a blank on the name, but, but he said, you know, my employees spend about 40 to 50 hours a week with their manager. On average, my employees are spending about an hour to two hours in church. So where can we make the biggest impact? And it's not that he's trying to be a religious organization. Yeah. It's that he's trying to be an organization that empowers people to do good. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think great businesses are about is doing good. And so my passion is finding leaders that have the, that quite frankly, have the capacity and the desire to create companies that matter. And they want to do it by developing and inspiring. And, and I'm going to say raising up or developing great people that are mm-hmm. a part of those organizations. And so I define success by my ability to touch people and inspire them and get them to grow more so they can become more so they can ultimately contribute more. Mm, so good. That, w- that was good. I wish we had time to dig into that more. That's mm. All right. Question number four. When times have gotten tough in the past, what's kept you from quitting? Uh, My family. You know, I think we're all motivated by either fear or pleasure or pain or Mm -hmm. pleasure. And, you know, they're both good. I love the question. What happens if you don't succeed? What happens if you don't achieve this goal? I mean, let's think about all the people that are going to miss out on the great things you could bring to bear through your company, through your organization, through your leadership if you quit. And and I remember in the beginning when it was hard and I was struggling to gain momentum, I was struggling to make a living. I mean, that first year was, was very difficult, but I just kept thinking, am I going to look my kids in the eye and say, dad didn't do enough to be able to, to give you the education and to give you the lifestyle that we've been living up until this point. And it's a lot harder to give things up than it is to go for new things. Yeah. So we had created a little bit of a lifestyle that was that was more than we should have. In fact, if I had to do it over again, I would have never bought you know some of the houses we bought, spent the money on some of the cars we spent, the boats, and we were not good stewards of our resources. But as I look back on it, that was also the drive that kept me from giving up uh, when it could have been easy to say, you know what, I really don't need to work this hard. I really could have been comfortable doing what I was doing before. Mm. That's good. I like how you kind of tied in again that that perspective change, something that someone might look at as a as a negative, like oh I have to do this or I have to give this up. You you were able to turn that around and and help it provoke you into going further. That's really yeah. good. So question number five is what question should we have asked that we didn't? <laughs> That's a great question. Maybe a question about my vision and where I see this thing going would have been a good question, but. Uh... Had we had time? Well, is there a quick unpacking of that answer that you could share with us? Just a wet our whistle and maybe we could have you back? Well, you know, I'm going to make an impact through entrepreneurs and through leaders and through companies. That's well known. And so my vision, we're launching a program with Harvard University. That'll roll out next summer. And so I'll be building a cohort of CEOs that are interested to scale in over $100 million dollars that want to go through this program with themselves and their leadership team. It'll be a you know white tablecloth, first class type of year-long program. We'll go mm-hmm. through a cohort of five to six companies and probably a nonprofit will be part of that. And then it'll culminate 
with a trip to Harvard and two days up there uh, getting a, a certification. I'm drawing a blank on the name. It won't be a degree, of course, but it'll be a certification yeah. for completing the program. So I really see that as a, as a major way to advance my brand. So I see building out a team of coaches uh, that are working with me so that we can make a bigger impact on entrepreneurs, not just in North, North Texas, but across the whole state and in the surrounding states. That's great. Wow. Well, I, I love what you're doing, and, and I hope sometime we can have you back on to, to dig into that more. For those who want to connect with you, who want to learn more about what you're doing, how can they find you? How can they, they get connected with, with what you're doing? Yeah, great question. So just Googling Scaling Up Coach, Mark Fenner, <laughs> will get you there pretty easily. My website is scalingupdfw.com. Uh, you can find me there. And then my Twitter is Mark at RPG. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Mark, for your time. It's been an honor and uh, hope to have you back soon. I hope so. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this show, please leave us a five-star review and share this with a friend. It would help us out tremendously. Also, if you'd like to stay in touch and get a free copy of the first chapter of Pierce's new book, Calling, How to Partner with God in Any Business with Any Boss at Any Place in Life, then click on the link in the show notes to sign up for our weekly email or visit piercebrantley.co slash podcast. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.